and welcome to the Autumn Ridge Women's Podcast, where we explore God's Word, not simply to learn more about the Bible, but to consider how to apply its wisdom. I'm your host, Svea Mary, and each week I'm joined by talented women from our congregation. We invite you to imagine yourself sitting here with us, enjoying a great discussion as friends about God and how His Word helps us take our next steps to become the women God intends for us to be. Well, I have been really anticipating this week jumping into chapter four. While I love theology, chapters one and three have had some amazing theology for us to talk through. It is kind of fun now to be able to take the theology that we've studied in chapters one through three of Ephesians and transition a little bit to a little bit more of a practical look at what God's Word has to say for how we live that theology out. And I am delighted that just as we started off this book with Jan Wright here to uh, to launch us into chapter one, Jan is back to launch us into this second half of Ephesians. Welcome, Jan. Well, thank you. I, I really enjoyed um, kind of digging into this chapter. There's so many good nuggets there. Mm. Uh, I really liked what commentator Warren Wearsby, how he introduced this segment of Ephesians by noting that the key idea in the first half of the book was wealth. Hmm. meaning Mm -hmm. the riches we have in Christ, and that the key idea of the second half of the book is walk. Mm. And I thought that was really neat. You know, walking implies a continual, deliberate, sustainable pace. And as we live our lives, we're going to have to walk out our faith. And Mm. like you said, in the previous chapters, the focus has been on theology, and now Paul's going to move to the practical. And I think sometimes we see a tension between those two, but they're really interconnected elements of our faith. Absolutely. And and I don't want to overemphasize a difference between the first half and the second half of Ephesians. It's not like one is exclusively a certain flavor and the other is, is a completely different book or anything like that. And of course, theology informs all of Scripture and all of Scripture, we can find practicality throughout uh, each section of the text, but uh, but. There is kind of a purpose here, and and Paul is definitely wanting people, now that we understand who we are in Mm -hmm. Christ, this incredible wealth, as you say, the riches that we've been given as uh, people who have been adopted into God's family, that now it's only practical that we would begin talking about what do we do with that blessing? Yeah, I like I like that point because the theology is still woven in, even in these last um, segments. I mean... Um, the emphasis is going to shift to encouraging us to live lives, and the way he terms it is worthy of the calling. Mm. Mm-hmm. Should I go ahead and read that first piece? Yeah, absolutely. So beginning in verse 1 there of chapter 4, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Hmm. Those are some great opening verses for this chapter, and what really impacted me is this phrase that Paul is urging us to live a life worthy mm-hmm. of the calling that we've received. And and for some of us, especially some of us who tend to be goal-driven or maybe firstborn children, yes. we're always 
uh, aiming for that? You know, am I measuring up? Am I doing enough? And and that's not what he's getting at. And and we want to make sure that it, it is clear that this is not what we have to do in order to be saved. That was kind of the, the main point of the first half, that we are saved by grace. We are not saved because of the worthiness of what we do. We're saved because God has chosen us and has offered us but now what we do with that amazing blessing is what we're focusing on. So as we talk about living a life worthy of this calling, it's not to try to achieve a certain status, but to demonstrate our gratitude, our thankfulness. Uh, the, the imagery that comes to mind in this is like if the Queen of England suddenly picked us off the street and said, I'm looking for a new heir and, and I'm just choosing you, would we come into the palace and not change the way that we think of our status, of our privilege, of the amazing gifts that we've been given. But instead, I think we maybe want to clean up our clothes a little bit. Yes, and- <laughs> I love that example. I, I like um, British examples for lots of different reasons. <laughs> maybe that's why it came to mind exactly. speaking to you in particular. Yes. I think this description of a life worthy of God's calling, I, I loved the words that are used there, you know, that it's marked by humility, gentleness, patience, tolerant love, and peacekeeping. I'm not sure we often zero in on that those are the standard, those are the characteristics that we should be cultivating. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great point because without having just read those verses, if we asked people in a random seat in the church, you know, what what would be the characteristics you would think would mark a quote-unquote good Christian? We would probably tend to gravitate towards things like knowing the Bible or serving the church or um, demonstrating a, a life that is free from habitual sin. Right, and, a list of do's, things that mm-hmm. we would need to do, but these are more characteristics and qualities that focus on who we are. It very much is. Yeah, this is very much more looking at who are we in our character, in our spirit, and how are we relating to other people? As we've been seeing each week in this letter, Paul is really, really stressing the importance of living in unity with other people. And these qualities are the kinds of things that make it possible to live united. Yeah, there's people. the theme of unity runs throughout, but I I find it interesting that he he starts with humility too. I mm. mean, in terms of those characteristics, I find it intriguing that humility is the first one that's listed. Mm-hmm. And in my reading, I found that in the ancient world, the characteristic of humility was associated with slaves, and so it was not considered to be a virtue. And I was thinking about that and I thought, hmm, I wonder if we considered it virtue now in all aspects of our society. I mean, there's a lot of people that would consider humility to be a weakness, Mm. but yet it's the place where we're to begin as we live out our faith. And I think that's because humility reminds us of who we are in Christ Mm. and what the nature of our relationship is with him. Absolutely. Particularly when we do recognize this truth that we aren't in our position in Christ because of our own actions, but because of his. Exactly. And it's a gift. We are absolutely called to to live a life of humility in light of that. Um, I love the next one that's mentioned about being gentle. And gentleness is just, it's such a beautiful thing when you see a gentle person. Gentle people seem safe. They seem like people that you could work through a problem with together. You're not afraid that they're going to blow up in your face, but uh, but that you can navigate things in a sweet way. 
And, and they also seem strong because that gentleness seems to come from something that's unshakable mm-hmm. in them. Being patient. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> patience is another one of those those wonderful qualities that are involved in, in helping people to live united with each other. Um, and then moving on, bearing with one another in love. We've had ample opportunities to bear with one another over the last couple of years in this pandemic era. But when you see someone do that, it it is a Christ-like attitude. Right. And I think it's one of the places it's most difficult to exercise can be in our families because we, we're in such close proximity. I think sometimes we, we forget that we, we need to do all of these things. And bearing in love is something also that can be over a long period of time and over difficult situations. Mm-hmm. Now, I do want to say we're spending a little bit more time on these earlier verses because these first verses not only set the tone for all of chapter four, but they kind of lay the framework for everything else Paul is going to say in the rest of Ephesians. So I think it's helpful for us to emphasize these, that this is the measuring stick, so to speak, of what Paul is saying. This is what characterizes someone who recognizes who they are in Christ and how they are living with other believers. I love the next piece he he goes into, which is this concept of of unity. He really um, focuses on the importance of unity. I mean, when he says, make every effort, I mean, it's hard to misinterpret what that means, right? I mean, it means that unity is not going to just happen. We're going to have to be attentive to it. We're going to have to invest in it. We're going to have to nurture it. Yeah. Make every effort doesn't really leave any room for do it if it's convenient. Right. But right. Uh, yeah, and and it's just a challenging thought when I'm struggling you know, with other people. Am I making every effort to try to maintain that unity? Um, and it's unity not just between people as people, but it's unity of the spirit in this bond of peace. And last week, Kate and I spoke for quite a while about peace and the 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 beautiful thing that Christ is our peace, and he came and he preached peace to us. And so we are called to act on that peace as we make every effort to stay united. And I think, too, we can, we can say that those efforts at unity seem to be rooted back into those characteristics of humility and gentleness, patience, tolerant love, and peacekeeping. Mm-hmm. I mean, humility has a big role mm-hmm. in each of those different character traits. Well, then Paul goes on in verses four through six to emphasize all of these things that we have to hang on to as united people. This this list, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, and so forth. Uh, it's it's quite the list to, to reflect on, and that would be a fun exercise at some point, just to think of how all of those things would draw the people Paul was writing to together and how they draw us together in the local church and the universal church really reminds us of what we we have in common. And I think a lot of those we, we understand just from the words, one body, one spirit, one hope. But what about this thing with baptisms, Faya? We, we clearly know that there are different aspects of the Christian church that hold different perspectives on baptism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Paul wasn't referring to methods of baptism. You know, there's nothing in this text that's referring to believer's baptism or infant baptism or anything like that. But he's, he's referring to this idea that we've been baptized into Jesus Christ. 
that that we all share the same thing um, that it, it's it's not about how we're baptized but but that we are all baptized in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit the baptism of Jesus Christ which makes total sense all of those seven things things that we have in common that unify us mm-hmm Let's go on and take a look at the next section. Um, I'm going to read for us verses 7 through 13. It says, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. And now in parentheses, What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we are until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So that seems a little complicated, ascended, <laughs> descended. <laughs> so help us out there. Well, I don't think we need to trip over that too much. The uh, the scholars have argued a little bit about exactly what this means, this ascending and descending. And there's different theories about uh, maybe what happened after Jesus died. But uh, most of them agree that the most likely interpretation here is it's referring to the incarnation, that mm. the Son of God became Jesus Christ in the flesh and uh, and came to live with us. And the, the big piece of that, though, again, is we see the concept of unity nestled in this context of gifts that Christ has provided to equip his church to do ministry. And we all have responsibilities to use our gifts for mm-hmm. the purpose of strengthening the body. Yeah, it's this wonderful concept of unity, not uniformity. Mm-hmm. It's not that he created us all the same. And uh, and a fascinating thing is that in these key passages that mention spiritual gifts, they often also reference this idea of the Spirit giving different amounts of grace to different people. Now, to be clear, this isn't the grace of salvation that Paul was speaking about in chapter 2. This is grace or gifts that are given to us as believers, gifts for ourselves, but also how that in turn then flows into gifts for the church. And, uh, and a, it's a wonderful thing that he doesn't all give us the same thing, but, but to some are given certain gifts and other people receive other gifts, and, and it takes all of us working together in unity to be the kind of body and church that God wants us to be. I love that thought about, you know, unity does not mean uniformity. And when you look over some of the list of gifts, you can see that there are very different skills required in all those different uh, roles in the church. Mm -hmm. And that's going to require us to listen and seek to understand others. And on matters that aren't central to the faith, we have to make compromises, we have to negotiate, we have to problem solve. And so again, unity is a responsibility that we all have. Mm-hmm. I think it's really fascinating that the specific gifts that Paul mentions here, and, and I will say parenthetically, when we see lists of gifts, they're they're not meant to be an exhaustive list. Like these are the things that people should be hoping mm-hmm. that they, they've received from the Spirit. But that they're just descriptions of gifts. And the ones that Paul mentions here tend to all be uh, a category of knowledge 
apostles or, or in essence, the people that would be given a message of God to, to spread the message, the word of God. Prophets, again, people who would speak the word of God. Evangelists, those going out to tell others about mm-hmm. the good news of Christ. Pastors and teachers, um, all of these these roles revolve around helping people increase in their knowledge of the truth. And uh, and an important little asterisk with that, it's it's good to note that as it says in the beginning of verse 12, it's not that so these people would be the only ones doing it, but people who have these kinds of gifts are doing it in order to equip people mm-hmm. for works of service. And I think going on to see uh, the the reason behind this in verse 12, both to equip people for works of service, but that it's so that the body of Christ would be built up until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God with this ultimate goal of becoming mature. <laughs> yes. Which leads us right into verse 14 there. Yeah, take us to the next section. Then we will... No longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speak the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Mm-hmm. I love that. It is really, it's it's just good literature, first of all, isn't it? <laughs> it's very picturesque. You can just see, you know, people being tossed back and forth on the waves and just blown around by all kinds of different teachings. That is deceitful. Yeah, yeah. He, he writes well, but of course, the meaning behind it is even richer. Uh, it, it, it even brings to mind what he had prayed at the end of chapter three in that beautiful prayer about people being rooted in love and, uh, and, and just rooted in the truth, rooted in what we know about, you know, the height and the depth and of, of God and who he is, that if we have all of that working in us, we've got these deep roots that keep us stable and, uh, and not someone being tossed back and forth on waves. And the expectation that we are to advance from being infants. We are encouraged to grow, to mature, to develop. And, you know, we combat this being deceived by knowing the truth, which takes us back to the foundations of the faith that Paul has been talking about all along. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, there's other places where Paul talks about knowledge puffing up. Yes. And so there's this warning here that it's not just about do you know the truth? Or even do you feel like you can tell everyone else the truth? But it's to speak the truth in love. Why don't you, you know, tell us your thoughts on that, Jan? Well, I think it's a phrase we hear often, um, but it's a very delicate balance to speak truth in a situation, but to have the motivation of love, care, and compassion to the person whom we are speaking. I mean, I think lots of us can think of examples where people have told us they're speaking the truth in love, but <laughs> we feel like we've been hit with a baseball bat yes. instead of kindly, you know, admonished to um, change behavior or to grow up. And I think one of the things I think about is truth is a commitment to the facts and realities. So it's an, an honest explanation of facts and reality. But the love component means we also have a commitment to our relationships. Mm. And I think of that kind of as a balance. There's the commitment to truth and there's the commitment to relationships. 
And to speak the truth in love means to honor both of those. Mm -hmm. I liked what one of the authors that I read had said. He said, when we live out speaking the truth in love, we grow both in our faith and in our relationships. And if you think about that, people who really strive to speak the truth in love really do have great impact because they're nurturing their faith Mm -hmm. and the truth part, but they're also nurturing relationships and you know, Christian community is where we do our life. And so if we have no regard for relationships, that's not good. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and I struggle to think of people that I would want to hear hard things mm. from if I don't trust that they at least want what's best for me, if not, at, you know, even hopefully feel like they love me. Um, you know, even beyond people that are in my family, if I know someone truly cares about me, I'm willing to take some pretty harsh feedback from them uh, because I trust that that motivation is good. Which I think reminds us that we we have to um, invest time in our relationships in order to have a to be able to speak from a position of speaking the truth in love, mm-hmm. because if we don't have relationships, it's hard to do that. Yeah, this is one of those areas in this chapter where I think, again, going back to the very beginning of where we started, if those first verses are really a helpful framework for interpreting this whole chapter, this idea of being completely humble and gentle, mm-hmm. being patient, bearing with one another in love, and making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Um, Again, each of these different sections really are just Paul explaining, when you encounter this, this is how you live it out. When you encounter this issue, this is how you live it out. Um, So I I would suggest um, it's been helpful for me as I've been working through studying this chapter, just keeping verses two and three as the, here's the answer, and then applying that as as each of these as a test case for how we we go about doing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm. Let's transition to the next section. He's starting a little bit of a a change of thought here. Uh, Verses 17 through 24 say, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, (laughs) that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him according with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, I want to just say a note here about the Gentiles, because Paul's writing to a bunch of Gentiles in this letter. The the Ephesian church and the surrounding churches were a, a struggling mix of Jews and Gentiles learning to live together in unity. We've talked about that through several of the podcasts in this series already. And so he's not throwing new Gentile converts under the bus here. It's, it's, he can sometimes be referring to the Gentiles who are Christians, but here he's clearly not. He's, he's referencing people who are still considered pagans, who were not followers of Christ when he's speaking about 
the Gentiles in verse 17, and and we'll give him a little grace for that. We sometimes use <laughs> one term to mean something in one context and something to mean it differently in a yes. different context. So just want to be clear about that. I find it really interesting where he, he talks about the role of the mind. Mm. And I think he's basically saying that Christians are to think differently. Our, our faith is not some sort of blind allegiance, but a fully informed engagement of our mind. And he, he does this contrast between how a mind influenced by a follower of Christ and one not under that authority is very different. Mm-hmm. You know, something that became apparent to me in this section is how many parallels there are in Ephesians 4 with Romans 12. And, uh, mm-hmm. and several of us spent a lot of time going through Romans 12 last year as we took, I can't remember now if it was eight weeks or nine weeks to, to go through just that one chapter. Because um, in many of uh, points of this chapter, we see similarities, not only things like the references to spiritual gifts, uh, both chapters emphasize the essential nature of unity within the church, but Romans 12 itself began with those really powerful verses about not being conformed to the patterns mm-hmm. of the world, but being transformed by the renewal of our mind. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's interesting to me how Paul seems to liken those things together that unity, gifts of serving the church, and having our minds renewed by truth, by knowing Christ, that that these things are all working together as we seek to become people who throw off the old ways and put on a new, new self to be like God. Yeah, this whole idea of becoming followers of Christ, we, we undergo major changes here. Paul's talking about the way we think. He even alludes to our citizenship and then even metaphorically our clothes. I mean, we are to put off that old self, the self that thought without a mind enlightened by Christ, and to realize that we've become citizens of a new kingdom, mm-hmm. and we have to put away the old adornments of our old life. Do you want to finish off this sure, chapter that would be great. for us? Verse 25, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen." And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Mm. Again, applying that framework of the very beginning verses of this, it's so easy to see how these things are incompatible with being humble and gentle and patient and bearing with one another and and obviously with maintaining any sense of unity. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. So let's look at this list of things that we're to put off. Lying. I mean, that's that's pretty intuitive. Even a right. non-Christian group of people would agree that lying is destructive. Uh, anger. Yeah, Aristotle had noted that anyone can become angry, but to be angry with the right person to the right degree at the right time for the right purpose and in the right way, that is not easy. Hmm. I don't think most of our anger lives up to that standard. Mm-hmm. But it's rather an emotional response when things don't go our way. And I think it's important to realize anger is not forbidden here. We as Christians don't 
ignore our emotions. I mean, anger is often a warning sign for us, but we must be careful that our anger does not lead to sinful behaviors and Mm. attitudes. Yeah, well said. I love that quote. That was very Mm -hmm. good. But yeah, that's helpful because sometimes we do a little bit of a dance as Christians with righteous anger yes. and, and all of that. But uh, but again, if we keep applying that framework of, of how Paul calls us to walk worthy, that, that should help us deal with anger too. Um, he mentioned stealing, uh, again, pretty intuitive there. Unwholesome talk. I could, I almost started laughing as that one came up because... The children and I worked on this a lot when they're young because it's very difficult sometimes for them to monitor their words. And I remember looking up that unwholesome talk here is the same words that are used for rotten fish or a rotten piece of fruit. So we would talk about that. You know, you have rotten fish or rotten fruit is what you're bringing forth. And, you know, when we talked about it, I thought they really weren't taking it to heart. But I've learned years later that it really did make an impression on them, not only in terms of defining unwholesome talk, but considering the impact of your words on others. Is it helpful for building others up according to their needs? Mm. Is it benefiting those that listen? Mm-hmm. And if your sister's on the floor crying, you probably missed the mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I really appreciate verse 29 from a positive stance too about not letting any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths but only what's helpful Mm -hmm. for building others up according to their needs that's a great mental check before we open our mouths isn't it is it's quite the standard it, it really is yeah it really is and it also helps with that concept of speaking the truth in love like you know yeah what i feel like saying right now might be truth but is it love? Is it really going to help to build someone up right now? Does this helping them according to their needs? Uh, it, I think it's a it's a great filter for yes. us for our mouths. Well, the rest of the list again is fairly intuitive, but I'd love to just land on verse thirty two because that that final verse of this chapter, uh, verse thirty two says, "Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, uh, just as in Christ, God forgave you." It's such a powerful verse and a beautiful bookend to where this chapter started with this idea of bearing with one another and now forgiving one another and remembering not just because we're forgiving people because it's a good thing to do or a helpful thing to do, but we forgive others because in Christ, God forgave us. And it just it builds on the grace that that Paul had been teaching us in the first three chapters, and then showing how this should be something that just flows out of us as his people now, that that we would extend the same kind of grace and patience and gentleness and humility and bearing with one each other and now forgiveness, just as he did with us. Yeah, I I love that as well. It's just a great way to encapsulate all of the things that we're being asked to do, but rooting them in the reason Mm why. Mm -hmm. I can't think of any better way to finish right now than to pray Mm -hmm. and ask that God would strengthen us and help us as we want to be people like this. Dear Heavenly Father, we do love you, and we do express our gratitude, our thanks, our awe, our appreciation, our, our humility, all of that for what you have done for us through Christ. We are the recipients of the wealth of those spiritual blessings, and now we do want to walk in a way that's worthy of that. And Lord, it's just amazing that what you're calling us to do is, 
is not a list of do's and don'ts necessarily, but it's about who you want us to be. You want us to be people that look like Christ. And so, Lord, I ask that this week you would give all of us help in being people who are gentle, who are humble, who bear with one another. Lord, help us to be people who forgive one another. Help us to speak your truth, but to do it in love. Lord, we we want these things, and sometimes they are difficult to do. So we just ask that your spirit, the one who has already been our guarantee, who has sealed us for that day of redemption, that your spirit would fill us with the fullness of Christ, with the fullness of God, so that we could be people who do walk worthy of the gifts that you have given to us. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Autumn Ridge Women's Podcast, a production of Autumn Ridge Church. We appreciate the technical assistance provided by Josiah Novinger, Ian Benoit, Robert Nash, and others from our wonderful staff. We'd love to hear your comments or questions on this or any other episode, and you could reach us at women at autumnridgechurch.org.